0: Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for Product Managers and Innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping product managers become product masters. Listen and get ready to take your career to the next level for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, your host, and this is the home for product mastery, where product managers become product masters. And that's those people inside organizations that are really good at product development, product management, and innovation. They're the ones that grow in their influence and become leaders. Check out how to become a product master using my free Product Mastery Roadmap, and that's at the same place where you'll find the show notes for this discussion, and that's at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 130. I met my guests at a product camp and learned that we shared a similar perspective about innovation and product management processes. And that's what worked for one organization may not necessarily work for another organization. There's a good deal of dogma around process, and too often processes are applied blindly without knowing the details required to use the process in a specific situation and culture wisely. And in this interview, we discuss the issue of process dogma as well as a toolbox approach to the work a product manager does. My guest is Chris Spagnola, and Chris is a product management and innovation consultant who works with organizations of all sizes to deeply understand their portfolio and product challenges and help them design opportunities to improve. He's led cross functional, collaborative, agile product teams at organizations of all sizes and successfully founded three startups. He avoids dogma and instead focuses on generating insights through deep understanding of the organizations that he works with to identify a sustainable, adaptable journey for them to achieve their goals. We had a great discussion, and I hope you enjoy it too. Chris, thanks for joining the Everyday Innovators. Hey, thanks for having me here. I was delighted to meet you at Product Camp. That that was our connection. So we had the Rocky Mountain Product Camp, which takes place in Denver, Colorado, back in May of 2017, for anyone who happens to be listening to this later. And it was a great afternoon. We just did a half-day Product Camp. And you had a session there that I really enjoyed. And I'm just curious about what you like about Product Camp and participating in that.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I love Product Camp. And I love that it brings people from all over the product world yeah. into one place to to share with each other, you know, and build this sense of community around product. And, and what I like about that is, you know, I've been in this situation, and I'm sure there's plenty of other people who, they're the only product manager at their company, right? And sometimes you get that isolated feeling of loneliness, like am I doing this thing the right way or the wrong way? Mm -hmm. Or sometimes you start to get this like overinflated sense of like irrational confidence in what you're doing, you know? So coming together there and really validating what it is that you're doing and understand how you fit into a broader community of product managers Mm -hmm. is really important. And, And I love that whole community feeling. And I love that feeling of sharing, you know, like when people want to keep everything to themselves, nobody gets better, right? So I love sharing my work. I love seeing other people share their work and their ideas. And, and the whole idea of all of us getting better at this thing together okay. is super important. And the guys who are putting it together, you know, it's a very selfless thing that they're doing. And, and they're supporting that same kind of community idea. Everybody, let's make ourselves better together. And I, I love that feeling.
0: Yeah, I I resonate with so many of the things you said. So often I hear people talk about product management as kind of a a lonely profession. Even though we're so cross-functional, we're always engaged with other people, but we don't get to interact with people in our our own field very much. And even in companies where you, because I work with larger companies that have lots of product managers, they often don't spend time interacting with each other. We're we're just too busy. And, And getting out of the office and doing a thing like Product Camp is great and and our talk isn't about product camp, but I wanted to bring it up because I think it's a great activity to be involved in.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: So good. Thanks for sharing that. And, uh, I had, yeah. I had a couple of sessions there too. And I enjoyed the session so much just because I learned so much too, right? Just from like what like you said, it, it, it's an unconference format. It's meant to be interactive. And I got so much feedback just from doing the sessions. I mean, in the session, right? People sharing their experience and what they do. And it's such a great time to learn. Yeah, definitely. Shout outs to Product Camp and other kind of communities like that. The topic I did want to talk to you about, you have something on your website, uh, edgehopper.com, where you can find out more about you and your work. And you talk about dogma and uh, dogma and innovation and, and product creation and management. And it's kind of a, a story that I share too in the sense that I don't see that there's any one framework out there that you know is going to work for any particular organization, right? And mm-hmm. the, the, so these so-called silver bullets that we can go and you know whatever the latest hottest book out for on innovation is, right. it worked for someone clearly, right? Somehow this book got written, but it doesn't mean that it's going to work for a specific organization. And sometimes we get caught up in all this dogma about what's the right thing to do. Um, Tell us more about that perspective that you have when you say that, you know, there should not, you specifically say dogma solves nothing. Um, Tell us about that. Yeah.
1: So, so here's the thing with my stance about being anti-dogmatic, right? Like when an organization, be it a product organization or any other, uh, feels like they have a problem, it is really easy to go grab that book, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know. Grab the latest and greatest methodology that's out there, and go, This is going to solve my problem right and And you nailed it on the head. it solved the problem for somebody, right, and then we take that problem that we solve for somebody and then we try to build this universal model that's going to solve that problem for everybody, but everybody's different right and you know from years of consulting, I can tell you like yes, there are definite patterns that you see emerge in different organizations that are fairly similar. But every organization I've worked with has something different about them, too, that makes that framework not necessarily work for them. Right. Um, so when they grab this methodology and they really latch onto it, instead of doing the right thing for the organization, they're just borrowing whatever that, you know, latest trendy flavor of the day thing is and, you know. Like, think about lately, like, we've been hearing a lot about lean startup or modern agile or holacracy, right? There's nothing inherently wrong with any of the principles behind those methodologies. Mm -hmm. But what happens is that when an organization invests in that methodology with, you know, time and money and resources, it starts to expect people to adhere to that methodology, right? And that's when it becomes about um, sticking to the letter of law and not understanding the foundational principles that were around that methodology, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Agile is like super famous for this, right? People look at Agile or, you know, they adopt Scrum or something like that. And they're like, hey, if we just do everything more Agile-y, everything's, you know, all of our problems are going to be solved, right? Um, And that's usually not what happens, right? Um, If we do things and we're just following the process and we start to really elevate that process to a different level in the organization where it becomes like this holy grail type thing, that's when it becomes dogma, right? And mm-hmm. at that point, the dogma solves nothing, right? Because when we become dogmatic and we start to elevate that process over everything else, we stop acting like humans. Uh, we start acting like those machines again, right? And it just becomes right. the – just feed us the instructions and everything's going to be fine. And really, like the instructions are not the important part. It's the principles, right? And there's this guy um, – James Richardson. He's from the UK. He's a, a television host, right? And he's got this great quote. I just love it. And, and his whole quote is that nothing important comes with instructions, right? And most of the problems we're solving are super important. So there really shouldn't be an instruction book for it. Um, so really, like when we want to solve those kind of problems, we want to get away from just following instructions. Because if we just follow the instructions, what we end up doing is like, we'll succeed at the process, but still fail at the business, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, taking it back to Agile, if you think about some of the things that are going on there, people get really good at following the process. And we get great at building this super fast, super efficient, very predictable machine. But are we building the right thing? Is there any humanity in what we're building for the people that we're building for? Is there humanity towards each other? And we start to lose sight of some of that. So I really, I like to get away from dogmatic process. And you know there are kernels of truth and kernels of value sure. in all of these methodologies that we're looking at. So it's kind of like, how do you take those kernels and put them all together into something else that makes sense, without being super dogmatic and making it that we have to follow the rules of these really generalized models?
0: Mm-hmm. It's interesting as you're saying that. I was thinking the the primary thing I do is I help organizations improve their product management capability, and we do that by just helping the product managers understand a framework of what they should be about. And there's one organization on my w- website that has a nice little case study, which is uh, Praxair. The, they're the guys in in gas and in oxygen and nitrogen, right? And they do all these things. And they have us uh, do a program for them every year. And I think we're on our fourth one now for basically onboarding any of the new product managers and, and training up the people that they fired in the last year. I asked recently, you know, wh- why do you keep doing this? And I, I'm curious about what you're actually seeing for results. He said, you know, the thing it helps us with more than anything we have these processes in the organization. We don't always know why they're there. We don't know, you know, we, we blindly follow them, and sometimes we shouldn't be. And it's this idea of, well, let's learn enough to know when to use the, an element from a process and when not to, right? And and, and make sense out of things. Right, right. And, and that's this notion that you're talking about, you know, that you, you kind of get caught up in the dogma of just following the process blindly and become automatons, and and the humanity is gone from this equation, and you're doing things that are are probably not useful at times.
1: Right. And, you know, when I work with organizations, and it's probably because of the, the product management DNA that's in me, but like, I approach working with organizations when we're talking about how we're going to do some kind of transformational thing with them, right? Mm-hmm. I approach it very much like I would approach a product. And when I approach a product, the first question is, what are the problems we're trying to solve, Right. And in order to understand those problems that we're trying to solve, I need to really have a deep, empathic connection with you, right? Mm -hmm. So developing deep empathy with the organization, whether you're a consultant or whether you're an internal person to that organization – You have to be able to empathize with the organization, right? Like, what's the problem that we're trying to solve? And once you understand the problem, now we can start to think about how can we get at this thing, right? Right. You don't walk in the door and say, you know, from a consultant perspective, hey, I'm going to start pitching you a framework. Here's what's going to solve all your problems. Here's how much it costs. At the end of this, everything's going to be awesome, right? And like, that never works. So like, you really need to get in there. And, you know, I'm, I'm speaking very much from a consultant point of view now, but you know, you need to establish this atmosphere of like trust and honesty so we can have real conversations about what's going on, right? And that's usually the first thing to break down. Um, and once we break that down, we can stop talking about what methodology is going to work and everything else. And we can be honest about what exactly is going on here that we're trying to solve, right? right. So the process, process is now irrelevant. Now it's we're being honest with each other. We can talk to each other, right? And when we get to that honest point, Now we can say, look, we're going to do a lot of experimentation here, right? Let's experiment the same way we would with a product. Let's experiment with the organization. What is going to work, right? And when we have that experimentation conversation, the really important part that comes out in there is, oh, and by the way, we're probably going to fail a couple of times on the way, right? Mm -hmm. Just like we would with product, right? So, again, it comes back to this whole product mentality of be okay with failure, create that safety zone that we're going to experiment. Some of the things we're going to do are going to work. Some of the things aren't going to work. Some of the things, they're proven tools. We know that we're going to get this result. Some things, we may not get there at all, right? Um, So to give you an example, like I was working with, um, I I won't say their name, but um, they're one of the biggest multiplayer online battle arena gaming companies in the world right now. So I was working with these guys, and... They had this great culture of experimentation. And as a consultant, it was very easy to go in and talk to them and say, listen, let's start trying a few things. I've never done this. You've never done it. But I have a feeling this might be a good direction to go, right? And they were great about it. They were just like, yeah, let's do it. What's the worst you're going to do? You're not going to break the company, right? So let's try this. So some of the things worked. Some of the things didn't. Sure, we had our failures and our successes and things like that. But Mm -hmm. we evolved towards the right solution for them, right? And the right solution was a matchmaking thing of, hey, we'll take a tool from here, a tool from there, a tool from here. We made up a couple of our own tools, combined it all together. And by the end, we kind of had something that made sense for them, right? And it really worked for them. And three years later, still in touch with them, they're still doing that. And they're still evolving it as they go through time. So, So it's a really nice way to think about, like, you don't have to follow one framework, you know, have that toolbox approach.
0: Right. You know, it's really, I find a rather unique perspective, and it's a hard one to get to. It's hard to find guys like you that take that approach and approach this, as you said, from the product management perspective, you know, let's understand the customer deeply and and what the real problem is. And a lot of the time, the real problem is not the one that is first identified, right? There's other things going on, other barriers in place and issues that need to work, work through. And as we would expect, and I've had great people on this podcast that I Truly, you know, the, the, some of them are my heroes. I truly re- respect the materials they put together, the books that they have out. But I also, if I go to them and say, how are we going to solve this problem? I fully expect them to use their methodology, right? That, that's, that's what they do. And and frankly, that's what most product management innovation consultants do is they use the methodology that they've had had experience with or that they created or the one that works. And it's hard to find guys, uh, men and women, I use guys generically, uh, g- guys that have that broader depth of experience to say, you know, there's lots of approaches that could work. Let's understand what's going on here and see what really works for you. So can you just share a little bit of your path, your background that kind of got you to that place, how this is your perspective now and, and how you do it?
1: Sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I could tell you for a fact, I didn't always think this way, right? Mm-hmm. And and it's been a huge evolutionary uh, path for me, right? Um, in fact, if you ran into me back in the early 2000s, I was a huge agile evangelist and you would have heard me spouting, you know, the typical agile dogma and everything else. And I was probably just a bit overzealous about, you know, I'm going to change the way people work and here's how it has to be. And if you just do this, it's like, it's going to be awesome, right? Um, so I would really slam agile and, you know, lean thinking at organizations and just be like, they're going to change for me, you know? Right. Um, and it really wasn't working, right? Um, but then something really changed me. Um, I was working as a director of product at a big multinational, um, and I was really trying to push the whole Agile thing. And what I realized was, was exactly what we were talking about before. What I created was this really efficient machine, right? Everybody was pumping stuff out like crazy, but like our clients were like, your, your stuff sucks. Like We really don't like your product. And I'm like, great. So we're pushing out stuff really quickly that people hate, you know? So, you know, we lost that whole humanity element of like, hey, you know, we're not attached to what we should be attached to. And it was a wake up call for me, right? It was the wake up call of this methodology and this dogmatic approach to the methodology solved nothing for us, right? The only thing it did was make us fast and efficient at delivering crap. So, you know, that really opened up a whole path of discovery for me. I started looking at all different things, right? You know, and it was just a a myriad of solutions out there. And I'm like, wow, you know, so like, I'm a super avid reader. So, you know, I'm diving into every book I could read, going to every conference, talking to everybody I could. And like, you know, I'm I'm a life learner, right? And I'm just like Mm -hmm. accumulating all this knowledge. and, And over time, I started to soften, right? Because I'm sitting there going, why am I arguing with all these people? They all have interesting points of view, right? And there's, there, There is, like we said before, there's something valid about each one of those points of view. It worked somewhere. So what was it about it that made it work? And what could I extract from that and kind of soften my worldview and go, hey, there's lots of ways to solve a problem let's have the toolbox approach, right? So so I began building this giant toolbox, right? You know, and it was taking from all different places, you know, like some of it was like, you know, I went to my kid's school and they're an international baccalaureate school and we're getting this whole introduction to IB education. And I'm like, there's some really cool stuff in here. Why would not do this in the business world? You know, so like it came from all over the place. So I start building this giant toolbox with tools from all over the spectrum. And I think it started to work, right? Things were starting to click. So depending on the problem I was solving, now, I would just open the toolbox and look at it and go, okay, I've got four or five tools that can solve this. Let's try this one. We'll make a little tweak on it, um, put it out there and see what happened, right? It started to work. And I'm like, this is great, you know? And now I'm starting to become framework agnostic. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, I could pick anything and put it all together. And if you look at some of my consulting gigs, you'd look across it and be like, what did this guy put together? Like, this doesn't make sense. It makes sense for the organization, right? And it's all these what look like disjointed pieces but they're all solutions to specific problems right and the nice thing about that approach is your toolbox is always open for new tools right i could always find new tools and put it in i could build my own tools right if i don't find a tool that works i could build my own tool i'm not constrained by this framework anymore so so it's this big evolutionary approach so like voila now i've got this huge toolbox and whatever your problem is let's talk about it let's find a way to solve it and it's okay for me to say I don't know the answer too, right? Like it becomes the I don't have that tool in my toolbox. Let's work together to figure out how to build it. Right? right. So so that's kind of the evolution of like how I got to where I am now. And it resonates with clients and it not just resonates with them from a message perspective, but when you see a whole organization start to accept it and go, This is okay. This doesn't feel like somebody's just slapping something on me and saying, here's the rule book. Right. It, it seems to work much better for people.
0: Yeah, the the thing we have to realize, anytime we bring in a a new tool, a new process, the key thing that's going on is we're changing people's behavior. And if that doesn't happen, the tool is not going to be accepted and it's not going to be put to use. And that's where some of our resistance is and we have to work through that and make it fit the people in the organization, right? So, um, I I do want to talk about some, some of these tools in your toolbox that you pull from and I'm sure we don't have time to go through all of them, but share some of your favorites and why they're why they're favorites, or maybe some of the ones that you've said, these are particularly unique that you found a lot of value out of. Wherever you want to go with that.
1: Sure, yeah. You, you know, everybody's got their go-to tools, right? And they're the ones that you know, no matter what organization I walk into, like I said before, there are patterns that you see emerge, and you're just like, okay, that, that's the typical pattern of, but um, let, let's take the, you know, if we're talking about the product team, like one of the big patterns we see with product teams is, is this lack of empathy, right? Mm-hmm. They don't really know who the customer is. They don't understand what the problem really is that they're trying to solve for them. So the tools in that situation that I'll usually bring in is like, you know, let's go through and do like an ad hoc persona development workshop, right? And first, within our four walls in the conference room, let's just come up with an ad hoc set of personas. That are based on wants and needs and not your typical demographics, right? Mm -hmm. But then there's also the the part of me that goes, well, that's all well and good, but now you need to go do some validation on this thing, right? And make this real, right? Um, Same thing with journey maps. Like journey maps are another thing or experience maps. They're another thing that I'll typically bring out in an empathy creating session, right? Is You need to understand what the journey is. And not just from your perspective, but go out and validate it. Like, is this really the journey? Is this Mm -hmm. really what your customers go through? Um, So a lot of times, those are the two go-to tools for the empathy thing, right? It's like, let's start really getting close to them. And that usually drives you to the get out of the building question, right? Right. Um, So when we get to that, and now not only are we talking about get out of the building to talk to the customer about their problems, we want to start testing solutions, tools that I really love around the whole validation process and and understanding customer problem and solution hypothesis. Like I love Ash Boria's lean canvas, you know, like Mm -hmm. I have tried so hard to find other ways to do what he has done. And he's just boiled it down to the simple essentials of like, who's the customer? What's the problem? What's the solution? These are all hypotheses. Define your assumptions and go test them. Right. Um, Another great tool around that is uh, Trevor Owens. He's got the Uh, what is it lean startup machine and they do the validation board another great simple tool right and it's nothing that's telling you how to do the thing it's just saying state a hypothesis and go test it go do discovery and here's how to walk through it right right Um, so they focus on iterating your way through not so much to the right answer but like the least wrong answer so I kind of take those two tools and those two tools really blend well with um, a lot of design thinking principles, right? So that's where I'll start to bring design thinking into the in, into the equation, right? Human-centered design, focus on experimentation, you know, really rapid, you know, low fidelity prototyping, good bias towards action. So you start to combine these two different methodologies that really they have a lot to do with each other. They just kind of evolve in different ways. You bring those things together and we're quickly iterating ourselves towards a solution that people love, right? So so those are some of the real go-to tools like at the product level that I love to do. Mm -hmm. If you're talking about, um, uh, you know, the the whole empathy thing, I I wanted to come back to that for a second. If you're talking about the developing empathy, like one of the things that that I love is going out and doing behavioral studies or customer interviews, right? Um, And this is not so much a tool, but honestly, if I can give a gift to every product manager and every entrepreneur that I meet, it, it would be Rob Fitzpatrick's book, the mom Test. So I don't know if you've read it or seen it, but it, it is this short little book. I think it's maybe no more than 60 pages. It's the most amazing thing because it, it doesn't tell you how to run a customer interview, but it tells you how to ask the right questions. Mm-hmm. And it, it really focuses you on like, here's how to ask the right thing. When you go talk to a customer, don't validate your own biases. Right. You know, like exactly. here's how to ask the right thing. So like, like I said, not a tool, but it would be the greatest gift. So, mm-hmm. so big, huge plug for Rob's book. Go out and buy that. It, it's the most amazing book you'll read. It'll change the way you look at things. So so that's kind of at the product level. Um, if you want, we can talk a little bit about some of the work that I do at a strategic level and some of the tools we do there. I'm not sure where you want to go.
0: Yeah, it's just on the, these product tools. I'm going to put in the show notes for this episode for listeners links to some other interviews, too. Um, like Ash Mariah has been on to talk, talk about the Lean Canvas. And we've had some uh, thoughts on design thinking before. Uh, so make some of those connections. And these are really important tools to understand that customer problem and what, what we're about. The, uh, uh, I recently interviewed the chief innovation officer at, um, Snap on, like Snap on the guys that make professional tools, uh-huh. uh, for mechanics and other things. He spends four days a week with product teams out with customers. I'm like, can you say that again? You, you're out four days a week during the week, each week. So yeah. And so "What are you doing?" I, I take people from product teams, and we go talk to customers, and we watch what they do, right? Yep. And that's getting out of the out of the building, real customer interaction, and that's where you get the insights about you know what kind of problems actually need to be solved. Yeah, it, it, I mean,
1: like. You know, to talk about tools is one thing. To talk about practices—that's yeah. the important part, right? And that getting out of the building. Yeah, I was just having lunch uh, yesterday with a friend of mine. He's the director of uh, customer experience for Vail Resorts, mm-hmm. so big ski company, right? And I was talking to him about what he does and how much he's getting out of the building. And he's constantly out of the building, you know, and like, and of course, getting out of the building is not so bad because you get to go skiing <laughs> and everything. But, um. You know, we were talking and he was like, you know, there's nothing more interesting to me than sitting in the ticket booth and watching people come up and make the purchase and, you know, the expressions on their faces about, you know, the types of tickets they can buy or the pricing packages that they have and everything else. And like he's not even talking to them, but he's just observing the interactions. And he's like, that's so valuable, you know? And he goes and stays in the resorts. He goes and sees what it's like to stand on a lift line. And he comes back and it's like firsthand experience about how do I make this thing better? You know, and like, there's nothing better than that. So yeah, I mean, like, again, not a tool, but a super important practice.
0: Mm -hmm. And as product managers, we are part of the organization to deliver on their strategic objectives. And so, yeah, share some of the tools that you use for when it comes to the strategy and honoring the strategic goals of the organization.
1: Yeah, at a higher level, like some of the patterns that I see that are fairly typical, right? Um, And typical with quotes um, is the struggle with strategic planning and alignment, right? Mm -hmm. And that always sits somewhere else in the product organization. It's higher up. It's not usually like your product managers are involved with it, but there's usually like a portfolio team or some executive team who they're kind of setting it right. And a lot of times um, one of the things that I really run into is that organizations are really unclear about their innovation strategy, right? Mm Right. What are we doing five years from now? Um, and a lot of organizations either are unclear about it or they're they're kind of lying to themselves, right? They're they're telling themselves we have an innovation strategy or we have innovation going on. And then you really look at it, you're like, no, like adding a new feature to an existing product that you're selling to an existing market is not innovation, you know. So a lot of times, you know, I'll default back to the old McKinsey three horizons of growth, right? Mm-hmm. It's a really easy way to graphically show an organization very quickly, here's what's going on, and here's where your current work is versus where innovation should be happening, right? Um, and that that tool opens up so many interesting conversations around not just product strategy, but organizational strategy about, hey, listen, you know, if you're going to be an H3 kind of organization, or you're going to have part of your organization be H3, the people who are working in that organization look very different than your H1 maintains, right? It's, right? You have different types of product managers. You have different kind of overall managers. You know, It's a more entrepreneurial mindset. So that tool is amazing. It just opens up these conversations. And again, like the tool itself is irrelevant. It's the conversations that it starts to drive and those eye-opening moments when you see the light bulbs go off in the room of, oh wow, we, we really don't have an innovation strategy and we really don't have something for tomorrow. We're only working on today's product. So so that's one pattern. Um, another fairly common pattern is this whole um, kind of a lack of a really clear vision being communicated, mm-hmm. and the alignment that could be generated around a clearly communicated strategy. So, so lately, I would say in the past two or three years, I've become a huge fan of like objectives and key results, or OKRs, and that's what I give my talk about uh, at the Product Camp. Mm-hmm. And OKRs are this really simple lightweight tool that lets you communicate strategy in a really easy way, sets goals that everybody can align around and kind of cascades through the organization. And everybody can clearly see how their individual contribution and their team contribution aligns to the overall strategy for the product or the portfolio level. So, so, you know, if you ask me for like two go-to tools on those things, I would say that those are areas that I think a lot of organizations would find useful. So like we said, we don't have time to talk through the whole huge toolbox. but if you're asking me general patterns, those are kind of the typical patterns I would say.
0: OKRs are objectives and key results, right? Right. And I really enjoyed your, your, uh, your session on that at product camp and uh, picked up some new, new information for me on that one. Is is there a resource that you can share a website or something? Just if people have not heard of OKRs and want to go look up what these things are.
1: Uh, Yeah. You know, we can post the, the deck that I presented at, uh, the product camp, if you want, on on OKRs, like we could put that up. Okay. Uh, but other than that, I would say uh, look for Christina Watke. She kind of has done a lot of research around OKRs and a lot of work with that. So she's an awesome resource. Um, I think Marty Kagan has a couple of articles over at Silicon Valley Product mm-hmm. Group on using OKRs as well. So th- those would be the places I would start.
0: Great. Excellent. Thanks for sharing those. I know there's more tools in the toolbox to go through. Th- these are some really big ones, right, in terms of the product level, right. just starting with who's our customer, you know, are we really having empathy for the problem? Do we understand their their journey through what that problem is and their journey interacting with their product? Getting out of the building to validate <laughs> some of our assumptions and actually having the first contact with customers and uh, watching them and learning from, from what they tell us. And then tools like Lean Canvas and design thinking and those customer interviews. The strategic alignment you talked about in the three horizons tool and OKRs, uh, objectives and key results. So good places to go to and also gives me some good ideas for future guests to round out some of those that I haven't had uh, people on before to talk about in depth. So that's excellent. Great. And as listeners know, I love innovation quotes. I always ask guests to bring one. Can you share your, the one that you like and why you chose that one?
1: Yeah. So what, so when you asked me that to have one to, to bring, um, it was kind of tough there. There were so many good good quotes to, to kind of pick yep. from. Right. And, um, and I did pick one, but you know, if I had to say you know, who I'd really put up there as my hero, uh, Ed Catmull from Pixar, he's been a huge inspiration to me throughout my entire career. And I can probably tell you that just about anything he said about <laughs> innovation is amazing. So, so just read any of his books and call that the big quote. But uh, if I had to pick just one quote, it comes from one of my other heroes, and that's Elon Musk. And his quote is, uh, failure is an option here. Uh, and if things are not failing – Uh, You're not innovating enough. And I think if I look back at what we talked about today, you can kind of see how this one quotes had a big impact on my approach, right? It's okay to fail. And if we're not failing, we're not moving forward.
0: Yeah. And it's a good mentality to have that, unfortunately, as organizations grow in size, they they tend to resist failure more and more, right? And they're trying to optimize operations and maximize the processes involved. But failure is part of learning. Right. And people that, re- that resist the word failing, just call it learning then, because, you know, when all of us, if you watch, uh, if we all had the same experience, we probably just don't remember it. But when you watch a baby go from the crawling state to the walking state, there's a whole lot of failing going on until they get it right.
1: Right. <laughs> right. right. You know, if you think back to what we were talking about before, the big gaming company, I mean, like, they're, Their lack of that that fear of failure was so amazing to see because you're right. So many companies are so afraid to fail, and you know I always remember that it was the CEO who said it to me, and he's just like what are you going to do? Break the company? And it's just like, I wish more people would say that, you know, like not enough people say, what are you going to do? Are you going to break the company? Like, no, probably not. So go ahead and do the risky things. That's what makes you move to that next level.
0: Yeah, excellent. Good. Thanks for sharing that quote. A very important principle there. And also let listeners know how to get in touch with you and find out more about the work that you do.
1: Uh, yeah, sure. So you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Chris Spagnolo on Twitter. Uh, and if you hop over to Edgehopper, our website is, uh, edgehopper.com. We have a whole bunch of information there. Um, right now, uh, you know, I'm trying to take some of these tools that we're talking about and bundle them up a little bit. Uh, so organizations can kind of consume them a little bit, uh, less chaotically <laughs> than, than what we're kind of talking about here. Uh, so I've got a couple of workshops right now that I'm developing and, uh, they're both up on the website right now. One's a three-day workshop uh, for product managers and product owners. And then uh, one is a two-day around some of the portfolio things that we talked about. Uh, but other than that, I generally do consulting. So if anybody's interested in talking about these topics, I love just talking if you just want to talk. So you know, hook up with me there or look at me on LinkedIn. I'm also just Chris Bagnolo on LinkedIn.
0: Chris, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you sharing your insights and all your experience with the Everyday Innovators.
1: Hey, thanks, Chad. This has really been great. Enjoy
0: the conversation. Thanks for listening. Please tell other product managers about this podcast. If you're enjoying it, they will too. To do that, you just go to the show notes for this episode. That's the everydayinnovator.com slash 130. And you'll find a summary of the discussion with Chris, along with numerous other helpful resources. And most importantly, if you want to share it, go to the top of the page and you'll find some buttons there, buttons for each of your favorite social media sites. Just click on one and you can tell other product managers about this podcast too. Thanks so much for doing that. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit our blog at theeverydayinnovator.com.